So Dylan White has called out Deontay Wilder once again. I have literally lost count of the number of times Dylan White has called out Deontay Wilder. There was also multiple offers from Dylan White's team to Deontay Wilder, which would have given Wilder at the time a career high payday. Wilder turned all those offers down, okay? Dylan White is persistent and he continues to call out Deontay Wilder. So in his latest Wilder call out, he said the following. He said, I believe there's something in me that he's seen that I know that's a problem for him, whether it's the body punches or the tenacity or just the sheer aggression that I bring. I'm not scared of him. I won't be there laughing and doing all this bomb squad stuff. He's just a tall basketball player from Alabama who used to work in McDonald's. He's not this street kid and this bad boy. He's none of that. That's just fake. What grown man goes around screaming, uh, when I shout bomb squad, I turn into my alter ego and something else. That's nonsense. So those are the words of Dylan White. Now, some Deontay Wilder fans might accuse Dylan White of just chasing a payday against Wilder. They may say that White doesn't really believe he can win. But I beg to differ. One, because I know Dylan White way better than most of these Deontay Wilder fans do. I've been following his career from the very beginning, long before he fought AJ. Dylan White is actually from the same neighborhood as me, or at least the neighborhood where I grew up, in Brixton in South London. I know some of the things he's been through in his life. I know the kind of character he is, okay? Dylan White believes he can beat Deontay Wilder. And if you want more evidence of that, just look at the fact that he turned down the Anthony Joshua fight the Anthony Joshua rematch. Dylan White turned the rematch with AJ down even though he was being offered a lot of money. More money than he probably would have got against Deontay Wilder at any time in the past. So if it was all about money and he just wanted a cash out fight, why not take the AJ rematch? Yeah? He turned that down and continued to pursue Wilder because I'm telling you people, he truly believes he can beat Wilder. Now, some of the things he said here give you an insight into Dylan White's mentality, those of you who don't know him well enough. Dylan White was a street kid. Dylan White has been in serious situations. Yeah, he's talked about being shot at before, being stabbed before. So he knows that life. He is turning around and saying, Deontay Wilder's a fraud. He acts like he's this street dude, but he's not. He used to work in McDonald's. He was this good boy but now he acts like he's some kind of bad man. Jarrell Miller has said similar things about Deontay Wilder in the past. He said that when he went to spa Deontay Wilder years ago, Wilder was this good, you know, church boy from Alabama. But after becoming champion, it's like the fame went to his head and now he's trying to be this character, this, this bad man, which he never was. Well, <clears throat> I don't know whether Deontay Wilder was a street kid or not. I mean, there are people who worked in McDonald's that ended up being serious street figures. So I can't say that just because Wilder worked in McDonald's, it means he's never been on the roads, never been on the streets. I can't say that. Um, but what I can say is when Dylan White says he's not afraid of Wilder and just sees him as a tall basketball player from Alabama, that's Dylan White's genuine mentality. He's not, he's not scared of this guy at all. He doesn't believe him. Yeah, he has supreme confidence that he could get in there and, you know, do the business against Deontay Wilder.
Now, my opinion on it is that Deontay Wilder would beat Dylan White. That's my opinion. It doesn't mean it's fact. You know, Dylan White, if he ever got in the ring with Wilder, would have the opportunity to prove people like me wrong. But just looking at it objectively based on their styles, I think that if you're going to beat Deontay Wilder, you're going to need to be quick on your feet so you can mess with range and throw his balance off. Or you're going to need to have very good upper body movement so you can maybe duck underneath his punches and have a good defense, basically. Ideally, you'd have both. You'd have good upper body movement and fast feet. And even better than that, if you're as tall as Wilder or taller, like a Mr. Tyson Fury, for example, it also helps you. Um, but Dylan White, his left hook is fast, uh, especially early on in the fight. But his right hand is pretty slow. His jab is pretty slow. His feet are pretty slow. Dylan White is not, a, not the most difficult person to hit. I think he'd be a sitting duck for Wilder's right hand, personally. You know, But again, that's just an opinion. And opinions don't mean nothing. The only thing that means anything is what actually takes place in the ring. And the fact that Dylan White has got such supreme confidence that he could beat Deontay Wilder, I can only admire that. I can only respect that. And based upon the people he's beat in the past and the amount of time he's been number one contender with the WBC, nobody deserves a shot more than Dylan White. Nobody. Luis Ortiz... I mean, he hasn't done a fraction of what Dylan White has done as a pro. Dylan White has beaten way better opponents than Luis Ortiz has ever beaten, but Ortiz gets two shots. Dylan White can't even get one. That's some joke business, people. How did Luis Ortiz even get the first shot? What had he done? Who had he beat? Well, he's coming off what, a, a win against Dave Allen. Dave Allen is not even a... a a domestic level fighter in the UK. He's like an area level fighter. Dave Allen, yeah, at the time when Ortiz fought Dave Allen, Allen wasn't even known in the UK. It was long after that that he built up this cult following. And I would, again, no disrespect to Dave Allen, but the way British boxing fans viewed Dave Allen was kind of the way that American boxing fans viewed Butterbean in the 90s. He was like a novelty act. Nobody really saw him as someone that was going to go and do anything big in the heavyweight division. Yeah. So that's the win that Ortiz was coming off. Might have fought some other person. Then he goes and fights. Well, how the hell did he get that shot? <laughs> you know, it was funny that Deontay Wilder wasn't trying to fight Luis Ortiz for years. It's only when Ortiz signed with Al Heyman that's when the fight got made, which gives you an insight into the inner workings of boxing. People acting as though Wilder's just going to fight anybody in the world. No, he won't. No. If it's not one of the champions or, you know, the Tyson Furies of the world, they're not even going to sit down and have a conversation. They're not even going to contemplate fighting you if you're actually dangerous and you're not signed with PBC. Yeah? Outside of the champions, they're not trying to take on all the toughest contenders who are signed with other promotional outfits. Wilder's not trying to do that. He's never been trying to do that. Hence why Dylan White has been frozen out for as long as he has. <laughs> it is what it is. But I respect Dylan White's confidence. 
And uh, he definitely deserves a shot more than anybody else in the whole division. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. There are some people who disagree with me, some British fans, some white fans. They say that Dylan White's left hook is uh, an underrated weapon against Deontay Wilder, you know. I don't know how effective that left hook is going to be against such a tall opponent, a fast opponent like Wilder who can move around and, you know, pull his head out of the way of shots. Yeah, he was getting, to be fair, he was getting caught against Luis Ortiz. And Ortiz is no faster than um, Dylan White is at this stage. Again, years ago, I would say Ortiz was faster than Dylan White, but not now, you know, not now. So if Ortiz was able to catch him, maybe Dylan White can catch him and maybe Dylan White can hit him with something a lot more hurtful than Ortiz did, you know? Maybe Dylan White has looked at that Ortiz fight and thought, this slow old man was able to back him into corners and hit him with shots. Man, I, I'll beat Deontay Wilder. Maybe it's given him even more confidence than he already had. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah, man, let me know what you guys think in the comments about Dylan White once again calling out Deontay Wilder. At this stage, it's, it's almost like a fight which seems it will never, like it will never happen, you know? It's like Amir Khan chasing the Mayweather fight or Junior Witter chasing the Ricky Hatton fight. That's kind of how it's starting to feel now. Like, feel like it's like uh, Wilder will never fight Dylan White. <laughs> Let me know what you think, people, is happening about. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. So Bob Arum, predictably, is saying that his fight, our Tyson Fury, will beat Wilder again easy. <laughs> he says there was no slow count in the first fight he's going to win again so let me quote the Bob father as he is affectionately known as by a lot of boxing fans he said Fury won that fight easy easy I wasn't watching that fight in person I was with Alexander Vozdek who was in Quebec to win the light heavyweight title Vasyl Lomachenko and uh, Alexander Usek were there to support him we all went to a room to watch the fight on television. At that point, nobody was expecting anything from Tyson Fury because he had been out of the ring for so long. We scored the fight and we had Fury winning at least eight rounds. Watch that fight. Fury won the fight easily. He goes on to say, no, it wasn't a slow count. Jack Reese is one of the best referees in the world and certainly in America and certainly in California, the leading referee. No, it wasn't a slow count. It was the right kind of count. Every time there is an upset like that, they call it a slow count. When Mike Tyson uh, knocked Buster Douglas down, they called it a slow count. There wasn't a slow count. There is always an excuse in boxing because boxing lends itself to that. Fury was 65% of 
of what he will be in the next fight. Wilder was at 90% of what he will be in the next fight. There is one winner in the rematch and that's Fury. Wilder has a puncher's chance. He's a devastating puncher, but Fury is not going to get caught like he did in the last fight. So that's what Bob Iron has to say about the situation. Now, first of all, I have to disagree with him when he said Fury won the fight easy. If you're on the floor twice and the second time you're nearly out, you know, you nearly get counted out, then it's not an easy fight. <laughs> okay. Also, when it comes to the scorecards, I didn't think it was so controversial. Um, if you watch the fight, forget about the body language of the fighters. Watch the fight and see who's actually landing punches. Watch it in HD on a big screen television. Look close. Who's actually landing punches? And who's landing the most clean, effective shots? You'll see that most of the rounds, the vast majority of the rounds in a fight are razor close in terms of who's landing the more clean, effective shots. So plenty of rounds there, which could have gone either way. But I guess a lot of people were swayed by Fury's body language and his showboating and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that he was making Wilder miss. Yeah, he's making Wilder miss a lot. But making a guy miss when you're not landing a significant number of you know, clean punches yourself. What's that? <laughs> yeah, you make him miss and then he hits you with a shot. Okay. After that, do you know what I mean? It, it cancels it out. So I have to disagree with Bob Aram on that. But with regards to the count in the 12th round, that's where I agree with Bob Aram. Uh, there was nothing wrong with Jack Reese's count. He was right to let Tyson Fury continue evidently because Fury ended up getting up and winning the rest of the round. So clearly it was the right decision. And this was the 12th round of a championship fight between two undefeated fighters. Tyson Fury has been down before. He's been down heavy before. He's shown the ability to get up and continue and recover from being knocked down heavy. Jack Reese was right over Tyson Fury. He was looking in his eyes. He was reading his body language. He saw the way his body was when he went down. So it probably wasn't as shocking to Jack Reese who was right in there and can hear the breathing of the fighters and look into their eyes it wasn't as shocking to him as it maybe was to a lot of us because he was a lot closer to the action and, and there in person and he could see that you know maybe Fury could get up so either way he administered the count Fury made it was it close yeah it was close but he made it all of these people running around with uh watches you know stop watches timing the count oh see it was 0 0.5 uh 0.5 uh seconds over 10 seconds like come on that's what you call reaching when you're doing stuff like that a referee is not a digital clock most 10 counts are not exactly 10 seconds and that was actually proven in the Mike Tyson Buster Douglas fight when Don King started complaining about the count and he was trying to get Buster Douglas stripped to the belts HBO did uh, a, a video where they played, and you can watch this video on YouTube, they played the two knockdowns in the uh, Tyson-Douglas fight simultaneously next to each other. And they showed the count for both men, the count that uh, Buster Douglas got in the eighth and the count that Tyson got in the tenth by referee Oct Octavio Moran. And the counts were identical. So Tyson's count was exactly the same length as Buster Douglas's count, and both of them were over 10 seconds, okay? Because a referee is not a digital clock. He's a human being. 
<laughs> so it's, it's not going to be precisely to the millisecond, 10 seconds. Sometimes it's going to be slightly under, sometimes it's going to be slightly more, but you're talking a second or a fraction of a second. Yeah? So Jack Reese's count, nothing wrong with it. Good decision. Tyson Fury gets up, does his thing. In the rematch, can Tyson Fury avoid the right hand? Because if he'd stayed on his feet in that 12th round, he'd be WBC champion now. Um, I think Deontay Wilder has improved. I think he's more controlled now. He still struggles with movement and balance and stuff like that. But that's why he's so conservative with his punches. Because the more Deontay Wilder throws, that's the more chances he's taking. And the more he's going to be throwing just for the sake of throwing, and a lot of the time he's going to be off balance. He's going to get countered. He's going to waste energy. You understand? So what he does instead, at what we saw in the Ortiz rematch, is we saw him wait and wait and wait and wait until he knew he was in the perfect range and the perfect moment, you know, everything lining up. And that's when he let the right hand go. Yeah. Whereas before in previous fights, like in the first Fury fight, he was letting the right hand go when he hadn't really lined it up properly. He was swinging and missing. He was off balance and all that kind of stuff. So I'm expecting a, a, a better Deontay Wilder in the rematch. The only thing I would say is, as I've mentioned in previous videos, he can't wait as much as he did in the Luis Ortiz fight. He has to be more proactive in working for his openings against Fury. Yeah. And the key to that will be the left jab. You can jab with a jabber, as the old adage goes. You can't hook with a hooker, but you can jab with a jabber. Wilder needs to get that left jab off. And be patient, but be throwing your jab. He was actually doing it in the early rounds of the first fight, Wilder. He was jabbing uh, with Fury. He was jabbing to the head and to the body. But he was also loading up on that right hand at every opportunity, even early on, and trying to take uh, Tyson Fury out of there. He needs not to, don't load up on the right hand, just jab, jab, jab. Eventually, the opportunity will come to land the right hand. And when you when you throw it, throw it straight, just like you did against Ortiz. That's the way he needs to do it. Um, and for Tyson Fury, he's got an emotional opponent in front of him in Deontay Wilder, an opponent who's not as intelligent as Fury is. And I'm not just talking about in terms of boxing, even out of the ring, just in general, Tyson Fury is a much more intelligent human being than Deontay Wilder. Fury needs to take advantage of that, manipulate that, you know, get Deontay Wilder mad, get under his skin, get him to break away from his poise and become reckless again. That's what Fury needs to do. I mean, in fact, you know, he knows what he needs to do. He's not going to learn nothing new from anybody uh, by way of how to get under an opponent's skin. He knows what to do. And that to me is one of the keys to victory for Tyson Fury, because if Wilder's in there and he's cool and he's boxing and he's, you know, jabbing with Fury. Fury's in trouble. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's, he's in trouble. If Wilder can stay calm and just box with him, I think Fury's in trouble. He needs Wilder to be wound up. He needs to get under his skin. He, he, you know, all the showboating and stuff like that. That got to Wilder last time. It made, it made Wilder angry, <laughs> which is why he was loading up on the right hand. So he's angry at the stuff Fury was doing. He wanted to make Fury pay. Not just for the stuff he'd said before the fight, but the stuff he was doing during the fight, all the show, but made, made Wilder real angry. 
but don't get angry in a boxing ring. It wastes energy. Yeah. Uh, especially don't get angry when um you're in against the guy who can make you miss on a consistent basis. That's not the kind of guy to get angry against. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's going to be very interesting. The uh, Wilder Fury rematch. Hopefully it does take place in February. Hopefully Tyson Fury's eye is as well healed as it can be because it would be a massive shame to see that rematch. And then, you know, round two or three, Fury's eye opens up again and it gets stopped on a cut after like, you know, four or five rounds. That would be terribly disappointing. So hopefully they've got the best plastic surgeons or whatever the case is uh, who have done the best possible job on Fury's eye. And, uh, we'll get to see a good fight next time out. So yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Mohamed IFL TV, MTK Global. You can see the other Edward brother is getting interviewed as well. Shout out to Head Movement TV. Yep, big shout out to Momo and uh, Charlie over there. Uh, how have you been, Sonny? Yeah, been all good, you know. Um, I'm my happiest when I'm in training in camp and got something to look forward to. Damn, I thought you were going to say I'm happiest when I'm talking to you. Yeah, and, and that. <laughs> um, how are you, Mr... Seen your nights out in Vegas. How how are they? What nights out? What nights out? Your eyes are wide open. What? <laughs> Everyone's seen your Insta live. You're Insta famous. Right, picking this back up because uh, I just had a sort a of revelation. revelation to me. Um, okay, Marcel Braithwaite. Uh, it's good to see an opponent actually from the UK fighting yourself and someone who's going to give it a bit. I think because uh, we've heard him say a few words and yeah, it's not another Mexican, South American. Although those guys have been giving me good work. And, uh, yeah, and you learn a hell of a lot from them. Do you feel like you're a world level fighter even though you're fighting for the British? I thought I was a world level fighter when I was like 14. So All I mean, right, mate. I'm big-headed. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong, I haven't proved it. Like, I haven't proved that I'm a world level yeah, fighter. You don't need to prove. But yeah. I feel like I can operate it. Yeah. I feel like there's not someone at flyweight, super flyweight in the world that you could chuck me in and I'd be completely out of my depth. I'm not saying I'm beautiful. Apart from Charlie. Fuck him. Um, he's fighting at Bantamweight anyways next week. I don't know. It's been um, yeah. I think he's looking to have his comeback at like Bantamweight and see what he's... Cause he's a big lad. And he's in good shape now and he's um, like, <laughs> closer to the world, weight. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. I forgot what you were saying. To me. 
Uh, boxing like South American and stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, they're hard, 10 rounds, and you can't switch off because they're just tough. They're basic, technically, but you know what you're going to get with most of them, do you know what I mean? And I feel like them rounds will land me in good stead for this. You know, I've done a few 10 rounders now. This is my first 12 rounder. I feel like I've never been tired at any of my fights, and I feel like I've ever looked gasping for air. Like, I'm usually fresher in the last couple of rounds than I am in the middle rounds, you know what I mean? So I think I've got the fitness there. I know I have. I've done the rounds time and time again. I'm just looking forward to, to having it off and getting that British title, to be honest. Who's better on the pads, Dalton or Grant? Uh, I think Dalton's learnt everything he knows of Grant. Grant's still the, the master. He don't, he don't show the apprentices everything, you know what I mean? That's the first time me and Dalton have ever done pads together. Oh, really? Yeah. Look quite natural, to be fair. Yeah, so. do you know what I mean? It's like, you know all the shots because they're drilled into us. Um, and then uh, and he's a decent little pad man, yeah. Mm. Marcel Breakthwaite, we don't really know much about him. He hasn't had huge exposure in the UK. Uh, what do you make him as a fighter? He's decent, um, quite slick, um, quite tough. But I just think I'm, I'm that couple of levels above him. And I think the golfing class will show. Um, I mean, he hasn't showed up today. So he had a car accident, apparently. apparently. Let's hope he shows up uh, on the 21st. Have you seen his comments about it? Yeah, to be fair, we spoke privately. It's, not, it's, <laughs> it's just all fun and games, you know what I mean? And, and Do you know what? I... I don't want to use the word admire, but I can't really find a better one right now in my head. But I admire the fact that he's, you know, he's realised the opportunity and he's seizing it. Because, as I've alluded to before, there's three fighters at our weights that are fighting on TV regularly. My brother, Carrier Fire and me. So, to get onto the TV platforms, there's only so many fights, you know what I mean, you can, you can take. And obviously he's not going to fight my brother, he's not going to fight Carrier Fire. You know, a world champion now, a former world champion, you know what I mean? So, he, he's taking the opportunity and... I feel like he did an interview on some platform um, and he just seemed a bit like he was grateful for the opportunity, which is, which is fair, do you know what I mean? And it is what it is, but, and he's the first of hopefully many of these British stars that want to come over because, you know, when you're boxed on those small hall shows, you're not getting paid very much. Now, I know round about ballpark what he's been getting paid for these title fights and he's getting paid very well for this. So I know what he's getting paid. He's got paid more than I got for when I boxed Ryan Farrow. Yeah, by quite a bit more as well. Not because of his Marcel Braithwaite, because he's boxing me. You know what I mean? So that makes it easier in the future to, to keep making these good fights. Now they're getting to a point where they can offer them good purses to be the opponent, then it should be a more attractive fight for them. But all I do know is I could have boxed anyone over 10 rounds and earned the same money that I'm earning for him over 12. I didn't bitch or oh, I want a couple more rounds. You know what I mean? I just wanted this fight to be made for the British title. Like, so... I've sort of picked him, do you know what I mean? Uh, so you should be thankful for the opportunity, to be honest. All right, Floyd. Yeah, no, no, he's being serious. Obviously, we're not talking about Floyd money, but I'm talking in my contract, I could have fought anyway. I could have handpicked an opponent, you know, one of these any, from anywhere, like, like my last couple, do you know what I mean? So I could have picked one, one like that, defended my international titles. Nah, I want, do you know what I mean? I, I want a British fighter. And um, I believe the exposure that fighting another British fight in the British title is worth, you know, not arguing over a few grand to, to, to sort of for the rounds, you know what I mean? Do you think next year you'll be able to prove that you're world class? Um, win this British title, then I want to win it outright. Like, oh. Really, really do. And I know there's a few people that are sort of saying they'll fight me next year. But what if a, a world title or a European title opportunity came about? Of course. Of course, and hopefully I wouldn't have to leave my British behind to do that. Um, I don't want anyone else to have it. <laughs> More than I want. But you might be in a situation if you if you do get that world title, you could 
you can't face your mandatory and then you might have to pay yeah, case. Of so. course, of course, but um, I have to cross that bridge when it comes to it, you know. That's a long so way away to be fair. I yeah. think we're looking at the end of 2020 for a world title shot. Um, this might delay that a little bit into 2021, but as long as I win and keep winning, then, then I'll be there sooner rather than later. Like, I had meetings over in Dubai. We could have had a world title shot for this fight. Like, we could have. And, um, but there's certain reasons why they want it. Like, give me 12 months, you know what I mean? And just get a few more learning under my belt. Even though I say I'm ready, and they know I'll bite their hand off at it. But you pay your management for, for good reason, and you pick a good management team for good reason. And, and I personally believe what I have in MTK is the best in the game. And, um, you know, who deals with me directly? And I think he is such a, a shrewd and smart man that I'll listen to what he says, you know what I mean? And, and, and I do listen to, to what he says and, and what the team says and, and I've been looked after as well as I physically could have been. Mm. Uh, could create a bit of history if you uh, bagged that British title. Obviously, your brother uh, had it uh, when he was at Superfly. So yeah, it's the last person to hold it. last person to hold it. It was stay in the family. Stay in the family, yeah. I'll hold it for longer than he did. <laughs> really. He's over there. He's still rocking that hair, isn't he? My God. I feel like it's normal now. I feel like if, for me, if I saw him about that hair, I'd, I'd feel like he looked weird. You see him every day, probably, so. Still got the veneers in as well. <laughs> um, could do, do a get a mind done, couldn't I? What? I could do a get a mind done, couldn't I? Mine would cost too much. How right? much did they cost? Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, Charlie, how much did your teeth cost? Absolutely what? nothing. What? The power of Instagram. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's social media influencer room. Do you think all these holidays he's been on, he's paid? <laughs> um, do you feel like you're one of, the, one of the main guys on BT now? We've got Dubois, we've got Warrington, Liam Williams, um, uh, at, my way, yourself. at my way. No, but I don't mean it your way. I mean... Well, all I do know is, yeah, at the British Board Award ceremony thing, they had a, a page, you know, Frank Warren page, like, well done to all the fighters, da, 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 da. and I was one of the, like, say, 10 fighters. That's what I'm saying. 10, 10 12 fighters, I was one of them. No, I, feel I was, like, the smallest one in the corner, but I, I was one of them. I feel like now, when you look at the BT fighters, obviously Tyson's doing his thing with ESPN. I know he fights on BT in the UK, but it's late at night. Billy Joe's gone. You've got Josh Warrington, Dubois, Liam Williams, yourself, Archie Sharp, really. Yeah. And, and I do believe so. And then... For the sort of the, the ground I've made up, at the weight I've made up, and at the age I am, then, and for what I fought for, really, you know, all the sort of the international titles and that, like, I feel like I've built up quite a good little reputation. Like, when you see Sun Edwards gets added to a card, you're not questioning whether it's going to be on TV or not. You know what I mean, I think that's a good position to be in because, obviously, six fights ago, that wasn't the case. And, and I feel like every time I fought, I've had good reviews, um, good viewings, like not been boring fights. You know, sometimes the crowd gets a bit subdued, but I think that's more down to the, the pattern of the fight being quite similar. Because even though I'm hitting them a lot and making them miss a lot and there's flashy stuff, it's like, you know what I mean? I'm not the biggest puncher in the world, so it's not like on edge of the seat stuff, but people that enjoy boxing tend to enjoy watching me fight. Come a long way. Come a long way, you know. I just had my debut in, a, in what I can describe as like an industrial unit in Spain. In Spain? In Spain. Estefan. Had uh, Albert A. Rektian, the oh. Iceman, in my corner. Tommy Stalker in, 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 doing the stall, even though I don't sit down. Spit bucket. Yeah, come along, mate. Okay, Sonny Edwards, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck ahead of uh, the British title fight against Marcel Breakway. Cobble Box 21st, live on BT. If you ain't got a ticket, but get a ticket anyways, you've got time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, anything you want to add? 
Um, no, I just... Shout your sponsors? Yeah, I mean, all my sponsors, you know, look at my kits. I've got um, quite a few of them, we'll be here all day. Go on. You want me to go through them? Like, if I forget one now. Main on. ones. Alright, um, main ones, Copper Jacks, they're my biggest sponsor. They, Johnny and, and, and his lovely family, they, they do so much for me. Um, come to all like, my family events and that, they're wicked people. Um, Simon Lawley from GoPack, Graham Heward from Rapid Respond. Um, Presence Club as well, which you always see me donning. Always. You'll never see me dressed in anything else. Oh, that's all them photo shoots you've been doing, Yeah, look. Nice. I like it though, you know. Not oh, these smart kids. Very nice. Did you see my mad trousers for the Lee McGregor fight? I was in like, these mad trousers. No. Oh, how well like, was that, by the way? A bit obviously controversial. Some people had. Hold chaffing. on, let me get through the rest of my sponsors. Oh, right, otherwise, right, I'm not going to come back. I'm going to miss them. Um, then you've got Shire Electricals, Tanya and Millen. Um, who else? Dean, sorry, from Empire. They provide all my tape and, and they sponsor me. And, um, <laughs> It's kind of two sponsors in one, because they kind of swatch their logo. Um, Avio and Aurelia, Supermax, um, Johnny and the team down there, they all look after me and, and they keep me in full time. And it's a massive difference, you know, I've got no money troubles, you know what I mean? So. I should get Dalton. Dalton, can you come in for this, please? For Lee McGregor. Mm. We're just closing up and uh, he mentioned Lee McGregor. I think he was. Well, why did Lee even come up? What were you saying? Oh, my trousers. Your trousers that you were wearing. Uh, oh, oh no, yeah, I did. Yeah. I watched on the stream. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did yeah. see your trousers. Brave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. President Club, see. President. Okay. Sponsored big shout, President Club. Um, obviously, a bit of controversy after that fight. A lot of people had cash for winning. Your thoughts on it? I thought it was a very close fight. I used to have Lee edging it by one, maybe two rounds, but. We was confident in the corner, like even when the last bell went, my dad asked me how it went and I said I, I got Lee up just. I had it 114, 113. Um, so close again? Of course it was close. Like, But the thing is, even the people that are screaming robbery still had it by like one round at one point. It's like, that's what pisses me off about boxing. Like, don't get me wrong, I pit everyone, I haven't watched a full fight. Like, the Callum Smith card, everyone's saying oh, I shouldn't be 117, 111. Fair enough. But then when you're saying, all right, 115, 113, that's a close fight. And if you just. Is it, is it, yeah, what is a is robbery now? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think as soon as someone calls robbery, everyone jumps on the bandwagon. But um, yeah, for me, I had Lee up. Um, do you know what? After a week of the fight, I could remember exactly what rounds I had, but it's been a couple of weeks now, I can't really remember. So you but me every round. Every round, round. Yeah, you could just see everyone. And everyone at Wimbledon had Lee, like the, the similar scoring to me. Do you me. think Lee will give Cash a rematch down the line? Not next. I don't think it needs to happen next. I think it, No, um, not next, but that, like... Maybe no, three or four no, years no. when they're earning more money for a bigger yeah, title. I think the, the rematch will definitely happen. Um, and I think Lee now pushes on to maybe a European title. The French kid that helped Charlie sparring, um, Karim Gwerfi, he said about making the fight. So that, that could be it. I don't know. Um, Karim's very experienced. Maybe that'll play a factor. But Lee's, Lee's a great fighter and he loves to fight. That's his problem. He, he Sometimes he abandons all his like, technical side of things and just wants to get involved in the scrap and I remember bollocking him after the the cash root fight because there was times when he was just throwing letting his hands go it was thing but he was meeting him there where cash is so much smaller and compact and can do all the lateral movement he's finding body shots where your dynamics aren't built to do and fight how you fight but he came out of it he got the win um, if people want to be upset about it he can be upset it's a very very close fight scorecard showed a very close fight but people cry and rob him man they, over anything like, if it's a close fight Opinions, isn't it? Was your dad happy with it? 
was happy with it. We knew it was going to be a close fight. Well, you know, we got the win and that's all that matters. Mm. I'm sure it was a big night out as well after. Yeah. Fair, because I'm in camp, I stepped out to the little MTK after party for about... District? Yeah, for about an hour. And then me and my missus, we went home to bed. Okay, we, that, we'll leave it at that Just then, Sonny, right? <laughs> Stayed in the same room as Dalton, so we had a freeze when we got home. Okay. <laughs> it's not PG, this okay. isn't it? <laughs> no, it's definitely not PG on our side. That's the headline. <laughs> okay, cool. I can't make your headline for your workout raw power today. I'm just I know, you're, you're not going to be like, uh, oh, what's he think about to AJ be fair, and, 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 and Reese? No, no, to be fair, you were savaging the bag earlier. So. Raw power, smashing the bags. Yeah. Smashing the bags. Cool. With my oh. new trainer, Dalton Smith. Cheers, boys. Nice one. Thank you. A lot of people are talking about this interview that George Foreman did with TMZ Sports, where he's talking about Deontay Wilder and the comparisons between Wilder and Mike Tyson. George Foreman is essentially telling people to pump the brakes on the over-the-top Deontay Wilder praise. That's essentially what George is saying. Because so many Wilder fans are going way overboard in their praise of him. Talking about he's defended his world title 10 times. And again, George Foreman is pointing out who's he actually beat. You know, he needs to beat a Tyson Fury conclusively or uh, Anthony Joshua or a Luis Ortiz. Then we can start mentioning his name among some of the greats. Yeah. And George Foreman also says rematches don't count. And what he meant by that is the Luis Ortiz fight. That's the guy you've already knocked out. You come back and fight him two years later when he's even older than he was to start with. That doesn't enhance your legacy. That doesn't enhance your greatness. That's what George Foreman is essentially saying in the interview. He says that for Deontay Wilder to be spoken about next to the likes of a Mike Tyson, he needs to fight Tyson Fury again, which is a rematch, yes, but it's a rematch that didn't have a conclusive ending first time, which is why there's a difference between him saying rematches don't count. He's talking about rematches where you won conclusively first time around. What's the point in rematching that guy? Whereas the Fury rematch, that's to settle a score. Unfinished business. Yeah? There was no conclusive result. If he can come through that, knock out a guy like that, then we can start having those conversations about, you know, Wilder and Mike Tyson, all this kind of business. That's what George Foreman's saying in the, in the interview. He's being realistic. He's being honest. He's not getting caught up in the hysteria that so many people in America have with regards to Wilder. Because in 10 title defenses, he has beaten nobody. Literally nobody. Nobody of any consequence in the heavyweight division in those 10 title defenses. So what the hell does that really mean? You know, again, this is what George Foreman is, uh, is getting at. So Foreman ain't hating or nothing like that. He's just speaking the truth and being honest. Now, as far as does Deontay Wilder hit as hard as Mike Tyson? Well, when it comes to punching power, of course, the eye test matters. Yeah. 
Um, but ultimately, unless you've been in the ring with a prime Mike Tyson and taken his punch and also been in the ring with Deontay Wilder and taken his, you can never know 100% for sure. I strongly suspect that Deontay Wilder actually hits harder than Mike Tyson. Again, I don't know that for certain, but I strongly suspect that he does. Because unlike most boxing fans, I believe, I am completely convinced that there are loads of heavyweights throughout the course of history who hit harder than Mike Tyson. Not like one or two, loads of them. You see, punching power is similar to punch resistance in the sense that the fighters at the top are not always the ones who have the best chin in the division or the hardest punch in the division. No, not always. I mean, you've got a guy like Marius Wack in the heavyweight division who's got a better chin than AJ, better chin than Tyson Fury, better chin than Wilder, better chin than Povetkin, better chin than Dylan White, better chin than Joseph Parker, Marius Wack. He's got a better chin than all those guys. Did you see the Klitschko fight? The shot that put AJ on the deck, Marius Wack took like dozens of those shots. <laughs> and went 12 rounds of Klitschko. Marius Wack's chin is incredible. But yet he's nowhere near as good as the fighters I just mentioned. Punching power can sometimes work in that same way. You can have a guy who hits extremely hard, but that's all he can do well. He might have a really weak chin. His defense might be weak. He might not be very skillful, poorly coordinated. And so unless an opponent stands still with their chin in the air and gives him the perfect opportunity, you know, to throw his shot with confidence, unless an opponent does that, then his tremendous punching power never really manifests in his fights above a certain level. Once he starts fighting skilled opponents who are hitting him back, even though he might hit harder than everybody in the world, he's not able to land his punch. He's more worried about defending himself. And a guy who I've brought up in the past would be someone like Darnell Boone. Darnell Boone dropped Kovalev in their first fight, had him in serious trouble, according to all the fight reports. They still haven't released the footage of that fight on the internet. They, they buried that more than Al Heyman buried uh, the Wilder Sconia's footage. <laughs> right. So they, they have buried that Sergey Kovalev, Donnell Boone first fight. Yeah. Donnell Boone, a much smaller man than Kovalev, dropped him and hurt him bad. Donnell Boone knocked out Adonis Stevenson. Donnell Boone dropped and hurt Andre Ward far worse than anybody else did in Andre Ward's career. He hurt Ward more. He dropped him more heavily and hurt him more than Kovalev did. And again, Darnell Boone really is like a natural middleweight, even light middleweight. And he's dropping and hurting all these guys. Darnell Boone's just a journeyman. How can he be doing all this stuff? Because I keep telling you people, some of the hardest punches who have ever stepped foot in a boxing ring are people you've never even heard of. They're not even necessarily very good fighters. They, they, just, they can just punch real hard, all right? With that being said, the idea that Mike Tyson is the hardest puncher to ever step foot in a boxing ring is absurd. It's absurd. Tyson was, of course, a very good puncher. We know that. 
but he was a what I call a prolific puncher, which means somebody who's able to land their hard shots on a consistent basis, even at a high level. And being consistent like that, having the skill, the speed, the timing, the defense to get into positions, avoid the opponent's punches and land your own big shots. And of course, the element of surprise he had because he was so fast, the punches you don't see are the ones that are going to hurt you the most. All of those factors combined are what make, made Mike Tyson a prolific puncher. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's the hardest puncher of all time. It's totally different. There are people in that conversation, again, who you've never even heard about. Okay, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you Mike uh, Deontay Wilder is as great a fighter as Mike Tyson because that would be completely silly. He hasn't proved even a fraction of what he would need to prove in order to say he's as great as Mike Tyson. Okay, but just purely on punching power and the eye test, I suspect Deontay Wilder hits harder than Tyson. Yeah, they're around a similar kind of weight, interestingly enough. But Deontay Wilder is refined and refined. And, and by the way, you see, with Wilder, with his punch and power, it's all in a straight right hand. The right uppercut doesn't have the same kind of power on it. The left hook don't have the same kind of power on it. It's a straight right hand. Mike Tyson, of course, had power in both hands. The straight right, the overhand right, the right uppercut, the left uppercut, the left hook, even, and you'd see this earlier on in Mike Tyson's career, a straight left from a southpaw stance. <laughs> Tyson could get power into any punch, even jabs. So, you know, to use a baseball terminology, I believe they call it someone who's got, who can bat from both sides of the plate. Is that what is that what they call it? Tyson had power and everything he would throw. Deontay Wilder, it's only the right hand. But that right hand, based upon my eye test, based upon seeing all Mike Tyson's fights and most of Wilder's fights, I suspect Wilder's right hand is harder than any one punch Tyson throws. Yeah, it's a tremendous shot. I'm telling you, I've been saying for a long time, Deontay Wilder has got historically great punching power. I mean, Ernie Shavers, right? He wasn't a great fighter. I know a lot of people who want to put on the rose-tinted glasses will go and say, oh, Shavers was a great fighter. Shavers wasn't a great fighter. Shavers was a fringe contender, really. You know, he did uh, manage to fight for the, the world title a few times. Well, let, let me not say he's a fringe contender. He was a contender, okay? But he did take a lot of L's in his career. Um, so he was a contender, but he wasn't a great fighter. Dangerous because he could punch like, like hell. Right? Tremendous puncher, Ernie Shavers, but not a great fighter. So will Deontay Wilder end up being like an Ernie Shavers? Somebody who has incredible, you know, historically great punching power, but turns out not to be that great a fighter? Or will he be both? Will he turn out to be not only a historically great puncher, but a great fighter as well? We'll see. Once he starts fighting all the top guys in the division, if that happens, then uh, we can make an assessment on that because the jury's still out. It's still out for me and it's still out for George Foreman. Tyson Fury was only uh, 60% in that first Wilder fight. Wilder had been active. Fury came in, he'd only fought a couple of puddings, lost, what was it, 100 pounds in weight? And he went in there and had a draw of Deontay Wilder. Imagine what Tyson Fury is going to do at 100%. You know, let's see.
and see how Wilder copes with it. If, if Wilder can get wins like that, let's say he can beat Fury, beat Ruiz or AJ, whoever whoever has those other belts, beat Usek, then we can start looking at Wilder and saying, okay, now this is what we're talking about when it comes to Hall of Fame resumes. This is somebody building a Hall of Fame resume. At the moment, Deontay Wilder isn't even remotely close to a Hall of Fame resume. Not even, ugh, that, that, that's absurd to say that Wilder is Hall of Fame worthy right now. Nonsense. Who's he beat to say that he's Hall of Fame worthy? Nobody. Literally beat no one. Hold your horses. <laughs> let him beat some, let him beat a few people first who are actually good and young, you know, in their primes at near the top of the division. Let's see him beat some people before we start having these conversations. So, yeah, but as far as punching power goes, based on my eye test, I think he's up there with the hardest punches of all time, you know, but will he be a shavers or will he be a foreman? You know, will he be a, a Klitschko? Someone who isn't just a tremendous puncher, but is also a tremendous fighter. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Some of you may have picked up on this sly little tactic which Deontay Wilder uses to try and discredit his rivals but also protect his own resume. I don't think Wilder came up with this tactic himself. I strongly suspect he was a member of his team who put it in his head and now he's running with it. But the tactic is to claim that every fighter he faces in the ring is never the same again afterwards. Now, the reason why he does this, and he's, he's constantly saying it, the reason why he does it is because he knows that his resume is weak. Okay. And he's constantly trying to tell the public, oh, just because you haven't heard of these fighters, it doesn't mean they're no good. All right. The likes of the Gerald Washingtons and the Duopas and the Molinas and the Spilkers and all that kind of stuff. And even to some extent, Luis Ortiz's. So he's constantly trying to convince you that these fighters are actually good. But what happens if those very same fighters, as some of them have, go off and fight some of Wilder's rivals? And his rivals do a much better job than he did. Well, he needs a way, he obviously feels like he needs a way, to discredit the fact that they did a better job. So all he has to say is, ah, oh, well, they were never the same after they fought me anyway. Here's <laughs> what he does. So I'll give you some examples here of what he's worried about. Eric Molina, he took Deontay Wilder nine rounds, gave Wilder lots of trouble. Anthony Joshua knocked Eric Molina out in, what was it, four rounds or something like that? 
did a much better job. But Deontay can just say, well, he was never the same after he fought me. Johan Duopa took Deontay 11 rounds, never touched the canvas. Went on to fight people like Povetkin, who knocked him out properly. To be fair, in that fight, I'm not going to say that Duopa was never the same after he fought Wilder, because that's not true. But he wasn't prepared in that Povetkin fight. He took it on like 24 hours or 48 hours notice. He wasn't in shape. So that one I concede, you know, Povetkin was uh, in there with an underprepared opponent. But nevertheless, he could use the same excuse for that. Arta Spilka, that's a better example because he fought Spilka. The scorecards were a joke because many neutral people had Spilka ahead or at, very, at the very least, the fight was even. But yet, of course, the judges' scorecards didn't reflect that. Spilka gave him all kinds of trouble. Eventually, he caught Spilka with one punch and knocked him out in the ninth. Now, shortly after that, Spilka fought Adam Kalnaki, I think in his very next fight. Adam Kalnaki stopped him in like four rounds. He didn't go no nine rounds. He was on Spilka and hurting him almost as soon as the fight started. So he did a much better job than Wilder. But again, Wilder can say, oh, well, Spilka was never the same after he fought me. Gerald Washington's another good example. Gerald Washington gave him problems early in the fight. He eventually caught Washington and, you know, Washington went down, got up. Many people felt like it was a premature stoppage, but hey, Wilder's not the only uh, A-side in a fight that gets premature stoppages in, in his favor. AJ's had at least a couple premature stoppages in his favor, let's be real. But nevertheless, he had issues with Washington early on before he caught him. Washington then went on to fight Kaunaki. Kaunaki stops him in two rounds. Hurt him in the first, was all over him, stopped him in two, did a much better job than Wilder. Once again, Wilder can just say, ah, well, he was never the same after he fought me. You see where I'm going with this? So if you fight a mutual opponent, if you fight somebody Wilder's fought, you're not going to get full credit. His, his team and his fans are all going to claim that, ah, oh, you only beat him quicker because Wilder took everything he had. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Wilder took his soul or whatever the case may be. Now, obviously, in some instances, a fighter can be never the same after a loss, yeah? But to claim that every single fighter is never the same after he fights them, that's just disingenuous. Yeah, that's just a tactic that he's using to try and discredit anybody who does a better job than him. Yeah? And, and to try and hide the fact that a lot of his opponents are weak. Yeah? He's fighting people who are not really top 10 heavyweights in the truest, truest sense of the word, okay? And he's trying to, you know, if any of them get beat, oh, he'll discredit that. They were never the same after they fought me. But a couple of times when he's fought people who his rivals have fought first, he doesn't say anything, does he? Because, <laughs> of course, he's the only one who can leave a fighter damaged and, and they'll never be the same again. Yeah, he, in, in his mind, according to his propaganda, he's the only person who can do that. Because when he fought Dominic Brazil... All right. Yes, Brazil went whatever, how many rounds it was, seven rounds with Joshua. Well, Joshua could use his tactic, right? He could use Wilder's tactic and say, oh, he was never the same after he fought me. <laughs> you see how that goes? You see the, the, the disingenuous nature of what he's trying to do by constantly claiming that fighters are never the same after they face him. And 
if that were the case, why is he fighting a guy in Luis Ortiz for a second time when he constantly says that they're never, never the same after they face me? So he's basically admitting in a roundabout way that Ortiz wasn't the same fighter in the rematch as he was first time around because they're never the same after they face me. He said it when Tyson Fury uh, had that tough fight with Otto Wallen. Oh, see, I take something from them. They're never the same. So he's trying to take credit from Otto Wallen. He's, he's trying to basically say, you know, Wallen don't deserve no credit. I did that to Tyson Fury. It, it's so ridiculous, okay, as if Tyson Fury hasn't had tough fights in the past. Well, you didn't see him get dropped by Steve Cunningham. You didn't see him get dropped by Nevin Pykic. You didn't see him have tough fights with John McDermott. You didn't see him have a tough first fight with Derek Chisora. You know, Tyson Fury is one of those, what they call buzz fighters. He needs a buzz. He needs somebody who's going to put fear in his heart to bring the best out of himself. When he's fighting less than stellar opposition, that's historically, if you look back at his career, that tends to be the time when he ends up getting caught with shots and not putting in a great performance. When he isn't up against somebody formidable. Yeah, some other people describe it as fighting to your level of opposition. So if you're fighting somebody who's not very good, you probably won't perform very good. But if you're fighting someone who's elite, you'll start performing to an elite level. Some fighters are like that. It's all psychological. Excuse me, all psychological. So watch out for Wilder's tactic when he does that and don't fall for it. Because again, you look at these names on his resume since becoming WBC champion and it's funny enough, uh, Shelly Finkel apparently said on some, uh, on YouTube interview recently, again, he was asked about why Deontay didn't fight Vladimir Klitschko in a unification when Klitschko was still champion and Wilder was WBC. And Shelly Finkel once again said, well, we didn't think Deontay was ready. But yet you've got all these people running around acting like Deontay has been taking on everybody since he's been WBC champion. No, he's been a very, very carefully managed WBC champion. That's the truth. He hasn't just been running through the division. This is why you look at the 10 defenses and who the hell's he been fighting in the 10 defenses? How the hell are you going to put him up there next to, you know, other fighters who have had 10 defenses, 10 successful defenses, Klitschko and Joe Lewis and all them kind of people there. I mean, it's ridiculous to do that because they were fighting the best guys around at the time. Deontay Wilder's not. He's fought one of the best guys around in Tyson Fury and he got a draw. And that was with Fury who was only about 60% of himself. So he hasn't beaten any of the best guys around right now. Luis Ortiz, I mean, can we say he's one of the best guys? Who's he beat? If you're talking about Ortiz of four, five, six years ago, maybe he you could have said he was one of the best. You know? And even last time he fought Ortiz, Ortiz looked a hell of a lot better back then than he looked now. So, and, and, and like I say, since Ortiz has only got Brian Jennings four or five years ago on his resume, how good can we actually say that he is? He's not a proven entity like Tyson Fury or AJ or even Andy Ruiz. They're, they're way more proven than he is. Even Dylan White is more proven than Luis Ortiz. Facts. You look at his resume. So when I'm talking about the top guys, that's who I'm talking about. The guys I just mentioned, not, not the Ortiz's. I'm talking about the Furies, 
the Dylan Whites, the Andy Ruizes, the AJs, the Parkers, even Povetkin still hanging around. These are the top guys. Deontay Wilder's got wins over none of them. I'm, I'm a lion? <laughs> no, I'm not. He's got wins over Eric Molina, Johan Duopa, Artis Spilka, a totally washed up Chris Ariola, Gerald Washington, Berman Stavern, Luis Ortiz, Dominic Brazil. Does that sound like a Hall of Fame title run to you? So enough with the smoke and mirrors. He ain't pulling the wool over my eyes. He might fool some of these other gullible boxing fans who don't know what they're looking at, don't know the sport, don't know the division. But he ain't fooling me. And I know he ain't fooling most of you. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Most of the prominent figures in boxing in America are picking Andy Ruiz to beat Anthony Joshua again in a rematch, at least from what I've seen. I've seen a lot of interviews on lots of different channels. Most of them are picking Ruiz. A lot of them are just straight up writing Anthony Joshua off. Many of them even saying that Joshua was all hype. It was never real. I've seen fighters say this too. There are, however, a couple of prominent figures in the American boxing scene who are not only saying that AJ was not hype and isn't hype, but he was the real deal and just had a bad night. They're also picking AJ to win in the rematch. And in the case of Abel Sanchez here, he's actually quite adamant that AJ is going to win. Now, why this is so interesting to me is not just because he's in the minority, it would seem, of you know American boxing figures who are picking AJ, but also because of the fact that he's Mexican, like Andy Ruiz is, and also he used to train Andy Ruiz. That's what I find most fascinating and curious. Because in this interview on Fight Hub TV, and I keep on plugging Fight Hub because it's a really underrated channel, you know, they've got plenty of subscribers, but whenever I talk about boxing interview channels, I think I did a, a poll over a year ago. It might have been one of those uh, New Year's, uh, you know, end of the year Hatman Awards type, type videos where I was saying, who's your favorite boxing interviewer? That was one of the questions. And I put uh, uh, Marcus Viegas, who's the, the, the guy who does the interviews for Fight Hub TV, I put him as 
one of the best boxing interviewers and literally nobody voted for him. <laughs> Obviously, most of my audience is a UK audience, but still, you know, he's slept on in the UK, um, Marcus Villegas. So definitely underrated in the UK. But yeah, in this interview, Abel Sanchez seems to be suggesting that Andy Ruiz is not a very diligent trainer. Now, I know some of you are going to be saying, duh, just look at the shape he's in, right? <laughs> he's like a, 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 a blubbery mess. Yes, but when you hear Abel Sanchez say it, somebody who's actually trained him, and you hear him express concern about Andy Ruiz going into the rematch, that makes me think a lot more so than just some random individual saying, oh, he's fat. Obviously, he don't train well. You know, Abel Sanchez in this interview is alluding to Ruiz not really training hard when he was with him up in Big Bear. Some days wanting to train, other days not wanting to train, that kind of thing. To play devil's advocate, though, Abel Sanchez's gym is at high altitude. And it's well documented that people like Joe Joyce, who's a you know extremely physically fit boxer, he struggled when he first got to Big Bear and started training with Abel Sanchez to acclimatize to the altitude. He struggled, and he's a really extremely physically fit heavyweight. Also, Tyson Fury, when he was training for the Wilder fight, he said that he struggled with the altitude, and he had to leave Big Bear and go train in. Uh, the wildcard gym instead, which is closer to sea level. So is Abel Sanchez factoring in the altitude affecting Andy Ruiz, hence why he wasn't maybe as diligent a trainer as, uh, you know, a diligent tra wasn't training as diligently as Abel Sanchez wanted him to? Is Abel factoring that in? And maybe at closer to sea level, Andy Ruiz trains extremely hard and very diligently. You know, who knows? But I did find it interesting that he said AJ is going to win the rematch. And this is not the first interview in which he said this. He said it in at least one other interview I've seen as well, that AJ is going to win. AJ is going to win this rematch. He seems very sure. Uh, he says AJ just had a bad night and, you know, he'll make the adjustments and he'll come back. The headline, the, uh, the title of this video is a little misleading because it says here, it makes it sound as though he's picking Ruiz. He isn't. Listen to what he says in the interview. He's firmly picking Joshua. He said that if Ruiz does win, it won't be by knockout. He thinks Ruiz might be able to outbox AJ if he comes in tip-top shape and, you know, Ruiz is prepared the way he's supposed to prepare, but apparently rarely does, according to Abel Sanchez. Um, then he may be able to outbox AJ because he says he's got the faster hands. Well, he has got a fast hands than AJ, but that's how he thinks Ruiz would win, by outboxing him, not by stopping him again. So yeah, interesting. It's just a perspective at the end of the day, but it is a perspective, it is a, an opinion from a guy who knows Andy Ruiz, from a guy who trained Andy Ruiz. That to me is more significant than, uh, you know, most other opinions. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about that. And as I say, the other trainer, or prominent boxing figure, who is picking AJ is Teddy Atlas. Atlas, you know, he, he, he went on quite a, a rant, a, a rousing speech about how excited he is for this AJ Ruiz rematch. 
in his latest uh, podcast episode, The Fight with Teddy Atlas. His co-host, who's called uh, Ken Rideout, he thinks that the Wilder Fury rematch will be a bigger fight. Teddy Atlas disagrees. He thinks that the AJ Ruiz rematch is a bigger fight. And he says because of the narrative of the fight, because of the fact that you've got the underdog in the first fight, Ruiz, who shocked the world, who did something that not many people thought he could do. And in the rematch, people want to see whether he can do it again. Was it just a fluke? Or is he going to go on to be somebody serious in boxing, somebody special? So there's that narrative, this rags to riches story. Can he do it again? Or was it just a fluke? He thinks that the the public are going to buy into that and they're going to be engaged by that. And then, the, then on the other side, you've got the redemption story, yeah? Which is another thing he says the American public loves. They love a redemption. They, they love a rags to riches story, which is what uh, Andy Ruiz has, the underdog story, but he also love a redemption story. Again, these are all the things that Teddy Atlas says in the video. They want to see whether the guy who has fallen from grace will be able to redeem himself and regain his honor in the rematch. So he clearly seems more excited about the AJ Ruiz fight uh, than he is about the Wilder Fury rematch, you know? I mean, I'm interested in, in them both, obviously. In terms of what fight is actually bigger, well, the AJ Ruiz rematch is likely to do pretty good numbers, I would have to imagine, on pay-per-view in the UK. I don't know whether it's going to hit the 1 million mark because it used to, you know, AJ used to do over a million in the UK on pay-per-view. I think he did 1.5 million for Klitschko and Parker, somewhere around there, roughly. I think he did just under 1 million for Povetkin. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do for pay-per-view in this uh, Ruiz rematch, how far his stock has fallen with the British public. We'll see, because it's going to be on at a normal time, even though it's in Saudi Arabia. Saudi is only about two hours ahead or something, depending on where you are in Saudi. I think there's a couple different time zones in the country. It's only about two or three hours ahead of the UK. So it's going to be on at a normal time. So, you know, pay-per-view sales should be similar to what they would be in the UK. Um, and as far as the zone and in the US, obviously it's going to be on in the afternoon. Will it really boost subscriptions and drive subscriptions? I don't know. I mean, how popular is Andy Ruiz at this point? Will those Mexican fans, I mean, the, the fact that you've got Canelo and DAZN will probably help the amount of people who are going to be watching the uh, AJ Ruiz rematch because Canelo, obviously, big Mexican star, lots of Mexican people signed up to follow Canelo and DAZN, and many of them same people are now going to be watching the uh, Andy Ruiz AJ rematch. So, in terms of purses, well, we don't know AJ's purse for the AJ Ruiz rematch but there's rumors that it's as high as, you know, 80 million or 85 million. I, I you know, to me, that sounds high. <laughs> you never know at the end of the day, but I'd be surprised if AJ's purse is that high. I'm sure it's high. I'm sure it's, you know, a lot of money, but 85 million? Mm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, and so if we're talking about the purses the fighters are getting, and certainly pay-per-view in the UK, AJ Ruiz 2 is probably going to be a lot bigger than Wilder Fury 2, okay? Probably. We don't know until Wilder, Wilder Fury happens for sure, but it's probably going to be a lot bigger in terms of the purses, in terms of the pay-per-view in the UK, 
Um, don't know about the zone signups because they don't reveal their figures. And of course, the AJ Ruiz rematch, there's three belts on the line. Whereas in the Wilder Fury rematch, there's only one belt. So how are you describing or how are you defining which fight is bigger? Because the AJ Ruiz fight will probably generate more money. The fighters will probably get paid more in terms of the overall, you know, the purses combined. And there's more belts. So isn't that a bigger fight than uh, Wilder Fury 2, which is just Wilder fighting his mandatory, right? They've made Fury the mandatory. So it's the WBC champion fighting his mandatory. Anyway, <laughs> whichever one you want to say is the, the bigger fight, I, I think AJ Ruiz is on undoubtedly the bigger fight but you might think that Wilder Fury is the more significant fight because it's still two undefeated guys whereas AJ you know he's been brought down to earth and we've seen his mortality now so uh well like we could always see his mortality but we've seen just how mortal he really is so yeah let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about Abel Sanchez's views here on the AJ Ruiz rematch. Are you surprised like me that a guy like this who knows Andy Ruiz, who's Mexican as well, who trained him, is picking AJ and quite confidently? I find that a little surprising. And uh, are you surprised by the fact that Teddy Atlas seems more excited for AJ Ruiz than he is for uh, Wilder Fury 2? So yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today.